The Forum and Workplace Inclusion's 2022 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. Registration is now open to the Forum's 34th annual conference, Solving for X, tackling inequities in a world of unknowns. The Forum and Workplace Inclusion Annual Conference is the United States' largest workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion conference designed for a national and global audience. Maximize your budget and register today by taking advantage of early bird prices. But hurry, because our early bird rates won't last forever. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org for more information and to register. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, The Theory of Racelessness, with Dr. Sheena Mason of The Theory of Racelessness. This is actually Dr. Mason's second Forum podcast. If you haven't yet, I would highly recommend you listen to her first podcast, How Different Philosophies of Race Can Help Us Heal. Dr. Sheena Mason's Theory of Racelessness is a methodological and pedagogical framework for analysis that illustrates how the undoing of racism requires the undoing of race. Her theory inspires a more astute identification analysis of racism. It stops the unintentional reification of racism by ceasing to uphold race ideology and its corresponding language. Theory of racelessness is also a philosophy of race that extends and explores the boundaries of racial skepticism and delineates more precise paths towards racial eliminativism, which she interprets as enabling us to finally transcend racism. Such transcendence allows us to recognize our individual and collective cultural and ethnic pluralism, a prerequisite awareness that leads society to embracing a genuinely liberal cosmopolitanism. The theory of racelessness reflects two philosophical positions on race that are uncommonly taught and commonly misunderstood. Skepticism, the belief that race does not exist in nature, and eliminativism, the position that the concept of race, whatever it is, should be eradicated from human society. The core tenets of the theory of racelessness are as follows. Race does not exist in nature. Race does not exist as a social construction. Everyone is raceless. Racism includes the belief in race as a biological or or a construction and the practice of racialization. Racism is not everywhere and is not the cause of every perceived racial disparity or negative interaction. We can overcome racism. Her forthcoming book, Theory of Racelessness, A Case for Anti-Racism, under contract with Palgrave Macmillan as part of and an African-American Africana philosophy series describes, defines, and applies her signature theory to African-American literary studies, a representative case study. In this podcast, you will learn how to identify and define philosophies of race, why, you, why we should separate culture, class, and ethnicity from race, and what is the theory of racelessness. 
In May 2021, Sheena earned her PhD with distinction from Howard University in Washington, D.C. She joined the faculty at SUNY Oneonta in Oneonta, New York in August 2021 as a tenure track assistant professor in African American literature. Her forthcoming book, Theory of Racelessness, A Case for Anti-Racism, presents a skeptical eliminativist philosophy of race and racism that results in her signature theory of racelessness. Hi, Sheena. We're so excited to have you back. Thank you for being part of our 2022 podcast series. How's your year going so far? So far, so good. I feel like January is flying by. I'm happy to be here and ending the month with you. Yes, I can't believe it's all already almost February. It's crazy. It really is. Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> My partner was asking about Valentine's Day, and I was like, why are you talking <laughs> about that? And I'm like, well, because it's almost February. And I was like, oh, God, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. Um, yeah, so again, excited to have you back. Always enjoy talking with you. Um, well, we covered a little about uh, your bio in my intro, but... I wanted to ask you about your work, specifically around the theory of raceless, racelessness. Um, like for to start, what is it? Theory of racelessness is a methodological and pedagogical framework for analyzing race and racism, specifically in the American context. So it has tools, something called the race translator, and it has core tenets. And it can be used from classrooms to diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings, workshops, all kinds of spaces and places. And the ultimate goal is to help people free themselves from the problem of racism. Awesome. That's, thank you so much for clarifying that. And what are the core tenets of the theory of racelessness? So the tenets are that race does not exist in nature and race does not exist as a social construction, which means that everyone is raceless. Racism includes the belief in race as biological or construction and the act of racializing oneself or other people. Racism is not everywhere and is not the cause for every perceived racial disparity or negative interaction and racism can be overcome. So let me do a, a deeper dive into each of these tenets to just describe and explain a little bit. So the first one being that race does not exist in nature. That's one that most people tend to already come into the theory of racistness knowing or feeling or believing. However, there are some folks who do believe that race is in our DNA, it's biological. I agree with modern science when they tell me that race does not actually exist in nature. Yeah. Um, and so part of the work that we do is helping people see that what they translate into race, like skin complexion or hair texture or DNA or ancestry, it's really ethnicity. They're just misnaming something. And the difference matters because whereas there's a handful of racial categories, there are many, 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 many ethnicities. Um, and so helping people outside of homogenizing and washing over all of these differences as it pertains to ethnicity um, and thereby unintentionally upholding racist ideas about people 
we help people see how race is not in nature. In terms of how race is not a social construction either. So last time we spoke, we spoke about the philosophies of race and the first category is naturalism, which I just tended to. The second category is something called constructionism, which is um, what this second tenant um, speaks to and disrupts and really highlights what's called my racial skepticism. As a skeptic, I argue that race doesn't exist biologically and therefore it doesn't exist at all because most skeptics are skeptical about all social constructions. For them, they tend to be very science-driven. Science For me, I don't believe in race particularly as a social construction because what people call race or racial, they're misnaming other things such as ethnicity, as I just said, or culture or class or racism itself, hiding itself as race. So in that way, I'm saying, we're just falling into the trap of conceptual errors and calling all of these things race or racial, but we're misnaming other social constructions that do exist in meaningful ways. And we're also misnaming racism itself. And so helping people see that and explore some information that is going to disrupt the notion that it exists in nature or as a construction is, is part of theory of racistness work, which then inevitably leads to people recognizing their own racelessness and that of other people's, which is a radical act of recognizing it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and we, yeah, last time we did go into depth about the yeah the concept of race and like what what it means to be black or white or you know we, there's it uh, makes me think of um another podcast by joe rogan who recently the scandal or the not scandal the uproar recently when he's i don't know if you've read or heard about this or read about this but him being like what is black like unless someone is like black black you know um then they're like their skin is actually like charcoal black then they're um not black and there's you know what i mean and it was just like how do you not understand this it was the weirdest take on race um yeah that, yeah he's not alone in that um way of viewing the sort of fallacy of race and using colors like white and black as metaphors or stand-ins to describe how somebody looks because um one of my good friends and a student of theory of racistness and activists in um indiana he he tells people uh who call him black like does my skin actually look black is my skin black so he kind of thinks that in terms of um the foolishness of it all mm -hmm. pointing to the fact that no one is actually as in actually as in literally the color black or the literally the color white that that can help disrupt or um help people interrogate the concept of race but I personally don't see it as an effective strategy because it just comes across as too, too cheeky, obviously too literal. And we all know that 
well, maybe not all of us, but many of us know. <laughs> yeah, don't make assumptions. People <laughs> don't all know. And many. that's been being made clearer and clearer every day these days. <laughs> many people know <laughs> that, you know, it, it wasn't initially the language attached to race wasn't meant to be a literal description, right? Yeah. The, yeah, the term Black, yeah, not being literally Black, but more of a cultural thing. Well, um, a cultural thing, but but initially it was created to justify the enslavement of people who were racial, newly racialized as black because mm -hmm. race up until, let's say, the 1660s was a concept that existed. It was a concept that existed as a reflection of a class system in early modern Europe, but that system was based largely on like family and ethnicity and nationality mm -hmm. as opposed to what we now think of as race and then once we get to the context of the americas the concept of race gets reconstructed reformulated to include white black and person of color and in the early pre-american society and then um after 1776 the words white and black are used to describe political and social status. And if you were racialized as black, that meant that you were enslaved. Mm -hmm. And if you were racialized as a person of color, you were free. So the language um, that came associated with race was really dictated and predicated upon how much power you were perceived or even afforded in the context of the states. And so when people like, um, Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, I think that was the same conversation that yeah. we're talking about. When they start to uh, uh, question and critique the language that we use as it pertains to race, it's an admirable venture, certainly because it's something that I work with people through my work. Mm -hmm. um, but even beside the fact that it's something questionable in terms of it doesn't literally describe a person <laughs> um, yeah. it i think at the heart of what's more important is the fact that the language and the ideas of it were created to subjugate and oppress certain groups of people um and that's the part that that people too often miss when they start talking about um crayon colors and things like that yes oh gosh when the beige color was called flesh which is just, like, just a weird thing, weird thing to have on a crayon period. Like, I don't want to like color with flesh color. That that always weirded me out as a kid. It's like, why is this color called flesh? <laughs> it, was, it was just creeped me out. Um, but yes, yes, um, yeah, that does it does yes open that rabbit hole or of all or all of those conversations. Um, and what does a theory of racelessness look like in practice? So ultimately, a lot of it is sort of corrective work. It's helping people unlearn some common misconceptions about how they conceive of race and what they see as being race. Something you said earlier in terms of Black being a culture, for example, that's some co corrective work that we walk people through and, and we give evidence yeah. for like this is how race language became conflated with culture this yeah. is why the difference matters and why we should stop conflating the thing 
I mean, namely, I think this is something we touched on at the end of our last discussion, mm -hmm. namely because in conflating race with culture, we have this problematic washing over of all of these differences for people who are categorized as black yes. or, and people who are categorized in any racial group. But you and I, we tend to talk about blackness. Yeah. Um, I and, wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, for those and who so, haven't seen us, we're both black. <laughs> we're racialized as black. I don't yeah. racialize myself, but other people. Well, yes, yes, we're, right, yes yeah. we are both racialized as black. Yes, sir. And um, so we tend to center that. And what when people start to interrogate, like what does black or what does blackness actually mean? They come to quickly try to assign it to simply racialized black Americans mm -hmm. because they come to recognize that, oh, actually the Nigerian that I would presume is black, you know, they're culturally different. They don't even often see themselves as black right and if they see yeah. themselves as black it's because it's a more matter of fact as opposed to speaking about culture or so, or, um, or politics or ethnicity or anything like that so we start to deep dive into the categories and we do this from a race raceless or deracialized perspective meaning because we're operating within this realm of skepticism i invite participants to view themselves outside of racism and in doing that we can then become more clear-eyed and astute in our analysis of racism namely through our analysis and translation of race when we see it appear in media or when we see it appear in a history book or a literature book and in doing that um we come to recognize that racism includes the belief in race as biological or construction and also the act of racialization which is important because most people tend to define racism as believing in the inferiority or superiority of any race group but what i help people come to recognize for themselves is the category of race, the concept of race is the hierarchy itself. So if you believe in the concept of race, you are perpetrating and perpetuating the hierarchy, which is racism. Mm -hmm. um, and I, whereas many people try to assign a moral value or moral judgment to being racist, I help people um, skip the, <laughs> that step, if you will, because <laughs> It's really a matter of recognizing how one system that is undervalued in the context of the United States is the system of knowledge. It's a belief system. And racism in a lot of ways is systemic because it's in, in the ways that we come to formulate our knowledge and our beliefs. And in that way, it is a it is inevitable for many people that they're going to have racist ideas and by extension they're going to be racist and they're going to be unintentionally upholding racism because of how they're taught racism by being taught race um but once we can recognize that and not see that as saying that any of any of us is just morally bad or morally righteous because we um avoid the pitfalls then we can see that racism isn't actually everywhere, which is an important step because there are some uh, theorists who would say that racism is inevitable and inescapable. And if it's inescapable and if it's omnipresent, 
that's how we're going to treat it. That's how we're going yeah. to try to problem solve. And we can't solve it because it's everywhere. It's inescapable. It's inevitable. And I try to help show people that it's it doesn't have to be right now it might seem like that but it doesn't mm -hmm. have to stay like that because we just have to make different choices and we just have to stop teaching our young people racism um, um and in that way racism can be overcome so theory of racistness operates from a place a practical place of hope and optimism in terms of um helping people see through the smoke if you will mm -hmm. and get to the other side this results in them being able to liberate themselves from the strictures racism places on all of us. And they can complicate the conversations they have with people in their lives about it. This complicates how they interact with people at the workplace. And I sort of view it as having a, a downstream trickle effect too, which I think needs to happen if we're actually going to be successful in transcending racism. That is, yeah, that's deep. <laughs> um, and also a little bit controversial, I would say. Um, a little bit? Uh, <laughs> understatement. <laughs> it's very, contro <laughs> very controversial. Because, you know, as you know, there's, there's kind of, uh, you know, we're on, on the, the wave or I don't want to say trend, but because that sounds so, I don't know belittling but the current you know the current um idea is you know that we should be focusing on race and like that's the only way that will end racism is acknowledging race and you know acknowledging people's different experiences because of their race um but you're saying that we should go the opposite way and talk less about race so that's that's what people tend to hear me as saying, but it's not actually what I'm saying because Okay, thanks for clarifying. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sure I misunderstood. But please no, clarify. No, so it's it's good that this came up because some people do translate that as what I'm saying. Certainly that would be the goal because if we're going to actually transcend racism, then we have to transcend the belief in race. Like we have mm -hmm. to eliminate that in order to undo racism. But we can't get there by skipping steps and just pretending yeah. that people don't believe in race, right? So a lot of um a lot of the work that I'm doing is helping people stop misdirecting the discourse toward the symptom of racism, which is race, mm -hmm. toward the actual root problem, which is racism. And as you come to explore the history of racism, that means you're exploring the genealogy and the history of the concept of race, mm -hmm. which then leads you to the inevitable conclusion that racism masquerades itself as race more often than not. Yeah. as well as the other things ethnicity culture those things get conflated and confused as race which then allows the machinery of racism to continue to persist so it's really just about helping people stop misdirecting the discourse and part of the reason why a lot of people believe that to solve the problem of racism we have to hyper focus on race for example a, part, a big part of the reasoning for that it may makes perfect sense if you know the history of racism mm -hmm. because there haven't been alternative ways to do it and when people have tried to complicate how we talk or think about race those perspectives have been 
as you said, perceived as controversial. So they get marginalized and excluded and never taught. Yeah. And it's hard to get out of the fishbowl when you're born in the fishbowl. And so people, I think, even on a subconscious level, recognize the sometimes sameness of racism as race, but not enough to recognize how continuing to operate in the category of race precludes us from actually dealing with and solving racism. So from my perspective, it's just about educating people about these matters, showing how these things get conflated and it's on purpose and it continues to perpetuate the problem, but with the right education, with having an alternative like theory of racistness on the table that people mm -hmm. engage with, we can overcome the problem. But so long as we continue to try to do it the way that it's always been done, we're not gonna get there because part of what I see happening in the fabric of, of today's society is people convinced that how we're doing things now as it pertains to racism and anti-racism is new. But having studied um, race and racism in American history and even outside of America, I've really studied on a global scale, I recognize that it's the same old, same old. Like we are trying to do this the same way constantly and persistently, which is why we haven't gotten out of it. So here's a new way to do this in a way that's proven to be effective. If you read any of my testimonials or my students or my clients and in being effective, the individual who holds their feet to the fire and participates in my um, programming, for example, comes to feel that the weight of race, racism is lifted, literally lifted off of their shoulders. They stop internalizing it. They stop internalizing all of the history and they feel freer and they're better able to identify how it still happens today in ways that participating from within race disallow. Wow, thank you so much for clarifying. Cause yeah, I, I, I did misunderstand a little bit myself. Um, I mean, and I kept thinking about critical race theory and, you know, education right now. And which is, again, just, it's just heartbreaking to read about education in America right now. Cause we seem to be going an anti-education way, um, an anti-learning, anti-talking about issues like this, which is again, scary. Yeah, it is scary and it's, it can be disheartening. And again, the irony for me is that it's nothing new. And yeah. I, I think most people know that's nothing new, right? But, but part of the biggest roadblock and hindrance that I see people falling into more often than not is they're dissatisfied with how things have been going. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, check the box, right? they're dissatisfied with the potential directions for how, okay, well, if we're dissatisfied with how things are going, this is the only other way to do it. So people think it's an all or nothing. It's like, we either have to do all of this stuff, CRT inspired type of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Or, or Kendi anti-racism inspired yeah. stuff, or we're, or the, the opposite, which is to do nothing. Yeah. And from my view, I'm over here, like, Hey, hey everyone, there's here's an alternative that actually gives everyone what they want, except the people who want racism to continue to persist. But I do think that that's a very small percentage of society. Yeah. I think more people are closer to the center 
they're okay with talking about the history. They're okay with their kids learning the history. They just don't want to be demonized, right? Yes. They and and I think there's something to that. And I I recognize that that is not the solution because so long as we continue to racialize people, then we do unintentionally or intentionally uphold the problem of racism. And no matter which way the racism is cutting, I see that as an error. I see it yeah. as a misstep. So our work is um, not in response to, to CRT proper or mm -hmm. what's being called CRT, but it's, it is timely because it, yeah. uh, you know, I earned my doctorate in May, 2021, right around the time oh, when this stuff, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, right around the time when this stuff really, really started taking off and being, you know, common conversation. So it's very timely. Yes, it is um, very so. <laughs> but the tenets are, the tenets, I hope, speak for themselves, especially in the sense that regardless of where a person is starting, they're going to have some level of discomfort with theory of racistness because mm -hmm. I'm telling everyone when they're wrong and I'm telling everyone also when they're right. And then I'm helping people come together, you know, and together we can do anything. And I hold on to the goodness of human beings. I'm not a pessimist or I'm not cynical when it comes to stuff like that, which is mm -hmm. why I cannot co-sign the tenets of, of CRT, like Derek Bell's, you know, racism is inescapable. I just don't yeah. believe that. Yeah, I was gonna say if we continue to believe that, then yeah, it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's not gonna be escapable. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yes, if you believe that, then that's what it's gonna be. Um, right. so which is seems kind of an obvious thing. Um, but again, things are just kind of so crazy right now. Um of 2021, what a year. I want I do want to and I, as you mentioned, like people not wanting to be demonized because a lot of times, as soon as you call someone racist, the conversations like shuts over. down, oh, it's yeah. over. Like, yeah. and, and like, they are just like, they are not willing to have this dialogue anymore. And, and you've, and you've clearly made up your mind. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just like, well, this, this let this did nothing. <laughs> uh, so good job. <laughs> um, which is why I think that I love the theory of racelessness so much, um, because it doesn't, you know, demonize people or push them away. Um, I did want to go back and ask about or something that you mentioned earlier about like people from Nigeria not considering themselves black or, you know, until they come here. Because I'm from Liberia, so I don't use the like I was born there, um, so I don't use like the to use the phrase African American because I'm not. Um, I don't have the same like shared experiences as African Americans. Um, and to your point, in Liberia, there's no like it's you know like when we're a place where you're the majority, <laughs> like where black is the majority, you don't really notice it until. Um, it's not an issue or, you know, something that's really, you know, like you said, it's just a thing. It's not really a thing. So that's why I've um, used the term Black for myself. What would you recommend? I think that people should, um, 
identify however they feel so inspired. And my mm -hmm. hope is that by sharing information, more people will feel inspired to not racialize themselves. And that's just my hope because I see how racism hides itself as race in society and it mm -hmm. obscures and um, diminishes and devalues other meaningful ways of seeing oneself such as you know in relationship with the nation in, re yeah. in relationship with class and ethnicity and culture i think that um i i hear a lot from people around the world increasingly about my work people in ireland and england canada and nigeria in particular mm -hmm. and a lot of people tell me that their parents so some some friends that I've been making in Ireland, they're of Nigerian descent. Their parents immigrated wow. from Nigeria to Ireland um, when they were, you know, toddlers or before they were yeah. even born. And when they get Ireland there, is great. Love it. <laughs> I haven't been. I hope. to. Oh, you have to. Dublin is like everyone is so friendly and Dublin is just the, one of the most fun cities. It's a small oh, city, man. but so fun. Um, I so, have sorry. to go. Yes, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. My cousin, I, sorry. Oh, I was oh, just I, gonna say, I believe you because now that I have friends there, I'm gonna have an excuse to go. Do it. My cousin got married there um, to oh, an Irish person, um, which is very interesting because they're from Western Ireland, so like the really thick Irish accents. And mm -hmm. my family's from Liberia, and so a lot of people flew in from Liberia to Ireland. Oh. It was just the was the most interesting group of people um and i don't have an accent and um so actually a lot of my cousins coming from liberia racialized and that actually happens a lot racialized me as white like they called me their white cousin um, exactly <laughs> so that's so that that's part of what i was going to talk about too so i i've heard from um, Nigerian descended people in Ireland and Canada in particular and England in particular, and they all talk about how their parents don't like their parents and their parents essentially raised them as racist as they saw themselves as Nigerians, certainly, and um, having been often born been born in these other countries, they see themselves as Nigerian Irish, you know, um, they just have a completely different conceptualization of how they are and who they are. And it's troubling to them to see how racism operates in these other countries, because uh, because they don't necessarily have the context for it because it's just not their rate how they're raised and then it's ironic to them because they're being put into this category that they didn't sign up for that they mm -hmm. don't really identify with and they see how racism hides itself as race so they're like they kind of take issue with the fact that people are calling them black and actually yeah. one of the one of these connections i've made he's um, spoken about the crayon color stuff that we were talking about at the outset. And to him, it's it's really troubling. He just doesn't, he doesn't get it. But the more people I talk with, the more I learn that uh, um, in Nigeria, for example, they do have this concept of anyone who comes from overseas is white. Yeah. And they really just attribute it to um, the uh, sort of otherness in terms of where a, what continent a person is coming from so you can look any kind of way but 
you would be considered white. And in Nigeria, you have Nigerian writers like Chimamanda Adichie writing the book Americana. And Americana in Nigeria is a term for people who are from Nigeria, but they go to a place like the United States, they become racialized and they become sort of indoctrinated, if you will, into race mm -hmm. ideology and um, other ways of, of being. And then they, they're called Americana. Um, and so I think it's ironic because in places where the majority are racialized Black people by Americanized, mm -hmm. if they don't even conceive of themselves in that way, if they don't conceive yeah. of themselves as a majority Black place, for example, if they see themselves more across ethnic lines or nationalistic lines, and then they leave and they get racialized, that to me shouldn't be something that we dismiss just because oh they don't it's because they didn't come up around more racialized white people mm -hmm. no it's because racism exists where there are more groups of people who are racialized in different ways yeah so to me that should be that should be our evidence like that should be enough but i've had people try to dismiss those experiences, um, people coming from Jamaica get dismissed for having similar feelings about it. And I'm like, isn't that ironic? We, we talk about listen to black voices, but if it's a voice like mine, yes. or if it's a voice like yours mine. or something else, <laughs> you know, don't listen to those black voices. Those like, black voices are white. <laughs> right. Like we have to listen, make up your mind. You either yeah. You either want to learn or you don't. And if you're sincere about transcending racism, there are alternatives that exist that we can, that actually get to the root of the problem. And we can learn from other countries where capital R race doesn't travel. Yeah. I Yeah, no, it's such a great point. And I, you know, again, coming from Liberia, the way, yeah, there, there isn't like the, the, the like they refer to different Liberians by their um, by their group, like or like the or like you know the like the group that they're in. So like different tribes or villages or you know county, you know where it's like oh that person's a crown person and that person's you know grobo person and you know that's how they differentiate people. It's not or at least like yeah by their the region they come from and but yeah with people like us who you know have left the left the country lived in the states or lived in europe or anything or by us i mean my family like we are often categorized white by liberians like one time my mom a couple of years ago went there and she the place she was staying in all got broken into because word had spread that there was a white woman staying there which is you know uh just their term for you know americans <laughs> um even though she is born and raised in Liberia, because she has left and been gone for so many years and now speaks the way she does, and um, they they see they see her as white, and which is so fascinating, and yet yeah, does just prove that race is just kind of a thing that's made you know made up. Absolutely, I was going to ask you: Do you get the sense that um, because in America, for you or I to be called in quotation marks white it wouldn't necessarily be a compliment right like there's going to be some kind of value judgment behind that kind of um it would be an accusation almost right yeah depending on who's saying it 
do you get the sense that there's some kind of value judgment going on in that instance or oh, oh yeah definitely and, and we talked about this on the last pot on the last one but you know i i grew up in a predominantly white community where um my white friends would say oh you're the whitest black person i know and think as though it's a compliment and then i would have you know black people african americans call or you know African Americans um, call say um, you're the whitest or call me white as though it's an insult like oh you're not you're not you're acting white you're not you know acting black whatever acting white or acting black is and so it, it it's yeah so so certain groups see it as a compliment and then yeah then there's the other side was like oh well you're kind of a traitor to your race you're acting white where you act white, then that's definitely like, you know, a negative like accusation or an attack, which yeah. makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, so one thing in my forthcoming book that I really go deeply into is examining and, and talking about how the category of whiteness gets created. So in this conversation, yeah. we center blackness, but it's important to also know how whiteness gets uh, produced across time. And it's largely been produced to be conflated with racelessness. Mm -hmm. So the absence of race is supposed to signal whiteness. Mm -hmm. um, and it gets conflated with not having to be under the negative aspects of of living in a racist society, it, which, and it, which to me I translate as being free from racism. Um, it gets conflated with individuality, um, yes. higher education, and having money, right? Even yeah. having access to money, if not actually having money. And so it's super ironic to me that in 2022, when you see a racialized Black person, being an individual right like thinking mm -hmm. th being an individual i just mean thinking from themselves and not feeling like they have to follow the the mainstream stuff that's yeah. happening or seeing themselves differently they're accused of being white because blackness has been conflated with collectivism mm -hmm. the community and there there are of course practical reasons why that would be the case because if you're racialized black and you're enslaved then you have to look out for the the bigger group as opposed yeah. to just looking out for yourself. But in 2022, because on the ground, the reality is just so vastly different, the the ways and the, the characteristics that get conflated with whiteness and encapsulated, which which makes it really inaccessible to, to every person not perceived to be white, and the stuff that gets conflated with blackness theory of racistness is working to explode those categories so that all of these ways of being and including and especially freedom from racism are accessible to every single one of us there's no reason why racistness should have ever been conflated with whiteness mm -hmm. because then it means that any person who tries to get outside of racism who's not white is beat back down and lambasted yeah. and accused of being a white supremacist but it's not about trying to be so-called white. It's about trying to be free from racism. So exactly. if we really want that, if we really sincerely want that for ourselves and other people, then theory of racistness is a way to do that. But if we, if we, 
one of my friends says some people like racism the way that it is if we like racism the way that it is then we can continue to do what doesn't work yeah and i mean the th or the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different you know different <laughs> outcome <laughs> so if we're going to continue to do the same things to try to fight racism uh, that we've been doing for hundreds of years now that hasn't worked um good luck with that um, exactly it's it's I, and and I'm I'm so glad we get to like touch back on this because it is such a I don't I don't want to say I don't want to say awesome because that just sounds so flippant but the theory racist list is I honestly think such a revolutionary theory or idea of way of thinking about it um, it reminds me well it, like while we were discussing this I was like oh. Why do, like why should I call myself African American or black when I could just call myself like Liberian American, uh, you know, and not talk about race at all, but refer to myself as like my origin, I guess. Yeah, you know, if that makes sense. Um, also reminds me of the not or gender fluidity, um, how that's a big discussion now. And I had a friend who posted this article about being so upset about this celebrity wanting to raise their child gender fluid and being like and conflating it with being non-binary and being very upset like you know why why let that you know why is it wrong to tell your child they're a boy or a girl and i'm like that has nothing to do with it that's that's sex not gender like gender is you know a social construct that says you're boy, you should do this, you're a girl, you should do this. And being gender fluid or raising your kid gender fluid is just being like, you, you, not saying you should do this, but not saying you, or, but saying, not saying you can't do this because of the gen or the sex you were born into. Yeah. You know, and like being like, oh, and not being like, oh, you're a girl. So you can't play sports or you can't play football or you're a boy. So you can't like, dolls or whatnot. It's just like being gender fluid is, or raising your child gender fluid is just allowing them to be themselves <laughs> and, ex and, mm. and as express their gender identity in any way that they want without putting a, like a label on that, which sounds a lot too, or, you know, to me sounds a lot like the theory of racelessness. But I could be wrong again. I've been wrong a lot of times in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it is okay to be wrong. That's something I help people recognize and embrace too. I, I can't even tell you. It's my willingness to be wrong that I've continued to grow emotionally and intellectually in the ways that I that I have. So um, shout out to you for being wrong. <laughs> shout out to me for having been wrong to get yeah. to where I am. Yeah. yeah, I do. I view gender in the ways that you just described and I and the important distinction for me between how I view gender and how I view race is that I do view gender as a social construction, whereas I don't view race as a social construction. So mm -hmm. there is a difference. And so the solutions to me are different. But in terms of how I aspire to raise my two year old triplets, I have two triplets. Boys. Wow. Yes. I did not know that. Congratulations. And also, <laughs> wow. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my wife and I we have two identical twin boys and our princess Tatiana, 
And that's definitely the aspiration. It's like, yeah, we we want to empower them to have the self-confidence and the tenacity to do whatever they want, you know, in the world yeah. and to not put any limitations on themselves for any reason, including, you know, what society might tell them a woman should do or shouldn't yeah. do and, and so on and so forth. So I think that's that's spot on in terms of how I also see gender. Yeah. So yeah, and yes. And you hear that audience? I was wrong for you. So you could learn with me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's why we need that's why we need places where people can actually speak their minds. It's it it's so unfortunate. We live in a society where people are either afraid to be wrong or afraid to be persecuted, mm -hmm. that they silence themselves, yes. that they police themselves in a way. And and that's to the detriment of our society and our ability to do things. And from what the feedback I get, you know, the the diversity, equity, inclusion efforts that are are dominant and sort of traditional have this effect where people are just checking the box because they're being forced to participate. So they're just going through the motions, but they're not necessarily getting anything out of it, which which to me means that there's not a workplace cultural change. And that to me is the opposite of what we should be striving for. We should be striving to actually have a deep and positive and sustainable impact on people, which will improve the workplace, it, it improves the culture, it which then improves the company's bottom line, which I know to business owners is important. And but more than that, it also helps us be better citizens and yes. better people for ourselves and, and for other people. And that's where I see their racistness intervening is in, in that space to let people know how it can be done, yeah. how it probably should be done, and actually help people heal some angst and pain as it pertains to racism, as well as help people come together. That's what it's about. And those are the results and the outcomes that we have been achieving. That is so amazing. And be, yeah, because to like um, go back to the big, as it's as something you mentioned in the beginning of this, or just now about how people are so afraid to be wrong that they're just not engaging at all. Um, a lot of racialized white people who are so afraid to be wrong or like ask the wrong question or say the wrong thing and be labeled a racist um, will go the opposite way and just not interact with their colleagues of different races, um, you know, or their non-racialized white colleagues because they're afraid, you know, just afraid. And that also doesn't help at all because um, then the conversation doesn't start at all. Yes, and people who aren't racialized as white feel um, hesitant and tension about interacting with people racialized as white. And it's just all around not the most ideal culture that we can be striving to create in workplaces um, because ultimately it maintains this sort of divide across what ultimately people come to find to be very superficial lines. Mm -hmm. And uh, it upholds this idea that our differences are largely determined by how we look, which is mm -hmm. not an accurate reflection of how we participate in culture or um, our similarities. And um, 
And if we actually want to have meaningful change and not just be checking boxes, then we have to get creative. And, and fortunately, there are alternatives. Yes, the theory of racelessness. <laughs> uh, <Yes>. <laughs> and and what, were you inspired by at all by um, Barbara and Karen Fields' concept of racecraft? So Barbara and Karen Fields, a historian and sociologist, wrote the book Racecraft, The Soul of Inequality in American Life. I want to say it was published in something like 2011. Okay. And I, I came across the book after I had done my dissertation defense and all that stuff. Um, and I was happy to find the book. I recommend it to every single person <laughs> listening. It's, it's like $10 on Amazon. It's such a good book their concept of racecraft is similar in, in the sense that they strike me as skeptical eliminativists. So they strike me as people who want to undo the concept of race in order to undo racism. And in the book, they show how in American society in particular, race gets uh, uh, ca camouflaged, uh, racism gets camouflaged as a concept of race resulting in what they call racecraft, which is really speaking to how people, even though it defies logic in a lot of ways, people believe in the illusion or the apparition of race. And when they're trying to talk or deal with racism, they talk about it in the language of race, which then has the unfortunate effect of reifying the concept of race mm -hmm. and not solving racism. And, and they talk about, um, one of the one of their one of the sentences and examples they give is something to the effect of the black southerners were segregated because of their skin color so they say time and time again in american life the cause for racism becomes the race of the individual that's being racialized in that in that sentence the skin color of the black southerners is the cause for the segregation mm -hmm. and what's missing from that way of talking about it is the action of the racist racialized white southerners who are mm -hmm. doing the segregating so we've got we've got it reversed we've got the problem reversed and we've got the cause of the problem being the alleged victims yes and that's something I, I see myself when I see what's happening in today's society and when I take a look at the history of it. And that's that sort of misdirection and race racism evasion is something that we work to help more people recognize. And we sometimes use um, their concept of racecraft to help people recognize what's what and importantly, how to get outside of that uh, problem. Like she said, everyone go get the go get Barbara and Karen Fields's book, Amazon, ten dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of books, when does your book come out? You've mentioned it a couple of times now. Um, and what's the title? Yeah, so thank you um, for asking me again because I've since renamed the book. So the title is Theory of Racelessness, a case for anti-raceism. My spelling, notice the emphasis on mm -hmm. race, the word race is actually in how I spell anti-racism. And I'm anticipating a release by summer. It's reaching the production phase with the publisher Palgrave Macmillan, and they told me to expect it to take about five months once it gets to that point. So 
by summer it should be out and maybe i can come back and announce it <laughs> that'd be awesome <laughs> i would love that um definitely have to let us know the date um I say, yeah, just in time to read on a beach or by a pool or yes. a slow day inside. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's uh, that's great, and congratulations on that. Um, that's really exciting. Um, so, unfortunately, we're at that time where we have to wrap things up. But it's been such a pleasure having you back and having this conversation. And as you've all heard, I've learned so much, um, even from and even though we had this conversation close to this conversation a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Ben. It's always fun chatting with you. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you and everything that you're doing. It's literally, like I said, just so amazing, so revolutionary. And lastly, I just want to ask, how can people um, contact with you, you know, and learn about your, learn more about your work? You can find us at theoryofracelessness.org. Um, and from there, you can find links to my publications. You can find a link to my podcast. You can find a link to my Twitter, Sheena Mason PhD. Find me in all of the ways, um, theoryofracelessness.org. That is so awesome. Yeah, so a lot of ways to contact Dr. Mason. So definitely feel free to do that. And I guarantee you will not regret it. Thank you again, Sheena, for coming back. And I hope you have a great day. And I I I'm just I I'm just still thinking about the triplets. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm my with lockdown and everything, I can't even. Uh, I just want to say Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Sheena, for this wonderful and enlightening conversation. And thank you to our listeners and our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more about the theory of racelessness, you can email Dr. Mason at sheena at theoryofracelessness.org or visit www.theoryofracelessness.org. New episodes of the Forum podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.